0: Well, good morning, everyone, on this beautifully snowy day. Isn't it nice? You know, here's what you have to think about, okay? This spring started off awful. Remember, it was chilly and rainy, and everybody said, it's going to be a lousy, lousy summer, and it was perfect. Dry, sunny. And so now this winter's starting off like, oh, it's going to be horrible. Maybe it's going to be beautiful. So, of course, what's a beautiful winter? Yeah, for some it might be a lot of snow, and for the rest of us it might be uh, something else. I don't know. (laughs) Okay, uh, one little announcement before we get started. Right after uh, the second service, we're going to be honoring our veterans. In fact, we're having our our, uh, church family dinner this week, and uh, part of it is so that we can honor our, our veterans. We're going to really embarrass them during the second service and have them come up here and stand and... And, um, you know, so we can all see those who've served our our nation faithfully. And uh, what a blessing it is. Amen. So anyway, um, I would like you to open your Bibles along with me to Exodus chapter 14. You know, we were singing that last song. And I was thinking about the fact that how sad it is that so many in the world... They don't know God. They don't even have any understanding of who he is, all that he's done. And really that is sad because the only thing that has meaning and or purpose in this life is the Lord. Because one day, every single one of us, barring the rapture, we're going to die. And at that point, your decision has already been made. Actually, before that point, your decision has already been made. And if you have chosen Christ, you have the 100% assurance of being with the Lord for all eternity. And the alternative is, um, is not very, very promising. And so that's why as believers we can be so thankful that we know the Lord and encourage everyone that we come in contact with to know Him. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for the fact that you hear prayer, you answer prayer, you lead us, you guide us, you give us direction, you help us out in our difficulties, and, and you heal us in all of our injuries, both emotional and spiritual, and you do answer prayer. You are a God-answering prayer person, Lord. You answer so many prayers, and we thank you for all the prayers that we've seen answered this week. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would come and be among us this morning as we break open your word, your Holy Spirit would speak to us in such a way that we would not only be instructed, but we would be encouraged, encouraged to follow hard after you because you alone are worthy. And so, Father, I give you thanks for all things in Jesus Yeshua's name, amen and amen. You know, I don't know if you've ever had a difference of opinion with someone, I'm sure most of you haven't. But um, just for an example, um, this week I had a little bit of a difference of opinion with my uh, brother Patrick, and it was a very deep spiritual, you know, uh, theological discussion we're having of whether the fuzzy caterpillars are black on the ends or the center. You know, we're trying to determine how hard the winter was going to be, and Patrick was saying, I think they're black on the ends, and I said, no, Patrick, I'm older than you, much wiser. (laughs) They're black in the center. And then wouldn't you know, the next day I'm walking over here and there's two or three caterpillars crossing, and guess what? They're black in the ends. So I was wrong. And the point I'm getting at is that all of us have experienced, no matter how trivial it might be or how serious it might be, we've all experienced the fact that we've been wrong in some understanding or some thought that we had. And this is the reason it's so important for us to study the Word of God. Because the Word of God is never wrong. It's always true. He's always faithful. In um, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it tells us something about the Word of God that's very amazing. It says, For the Word of God is living and powerful. Living and powerful. Nume is the word that's used there in the Hebrew. It has breath, it has power. It is living and powerful. And sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing uh, even to the division of soul and spirit. How do we do that? And joints and marrow. Now listen to this. And is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I mean, sometimes we think we're doing something for this reason, but the Lord knows. You know what I'm saying? He knows and understands even the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's why when we study the Word of God, it's the most amazing thing in the world. I mean, you take your Bible in the evening and you sit there and and you open it up and you read and you realize you're reading the Word of God. Not a book. You're reading the Word of God to man. How amazing is that? Absolutely blows my mind. And this is why when we're reading books like Exodus here, there are so many attempts to explain away the miracles of God. Have you ever noticed that? And uh, I'm going to give you just a few examples of the crossing of the Red Sea, which we're studying this morning. Um, one of the things they'll because you have to understand, whenever someone tries to explain away Scripture, what they're really trying to do is explain away God. And so you can't, we can't allow that to happen. And uh, here are some of the, the thoughts that people have had. Where the children of Israel actually crossed over is called the Sea of Reeds. And that's the part of the sea that's not very deep, maybe three or four feet deep is all. And so if there was a strong wind, it's possible it could have separated it and made the ground dry for them to cross over on. Number one, that's so stupid because that would require even a greater miracle. And you ask why? Because you have hundreds of thousands of pharaoh soldiers on chariots drown in three feet of water. (laughs) You know what I mean? It doesn't even make any sense. Now... Here here's some other amazing ones that you, you can read about. Um, there's a miraculous double lunar eclipse, and it actually caused the water, like you know, tides rise and fall, caused the water to rise up in one end. What? There's never been anything like that. And another one, which you probably have heard this one as well. <clears throat> when the wind blew, it exposed a a shelf that went across the Red Sea that was normally hidden by the water, and so they went across on that. Those are all stupid, and they make no sense. What it really was, it was a miracle of God. One of the things that's interesting, you can go online and look this up yourself, and there are some who try to disprove it, but there is more and more proof uh, of the archaeological expeditions that actually found chariot wheels, and uh, parts of chariots in the midst of the Dead Sea. How is that? It's amazing. <clears throat> Excuse me. So open your Bibles along with me, and we're in Exodus 14. We're going to be picking up in verse 21. Exodus 14:21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back ...by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground. And the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. You know, the only way... That this miracle could be explained is the hand of God. Because the thing we have to understand is it is estimated that the water standing up on end at this part of the Red Sea would have been over 20 stories high, and probably at least a mile wide. I mean, can you imagine what 20 stories high a bank of water would have looked like as a wall standing there? It's amazing. And the ground they walked on was dry. It wasn't even damp. It was dry, the ground that they walked on when the sea was departed. And, um, of course, this is the way the Lord works in us, isn't it? Uh, We can be in a sea of problems. We can be in a sea of difficulty. And his hands divide the way, and we walk through in his peace doesn't mean the difficulties aren't there, but they're piled up on either side because we're walking in His peace. We're following Him. And so we have to understand as believers, it doesn't mean we're never going to have a problem. We're never going to have a difficulty. As a believer, it doesn't mean life isn't going to be hard at times. But we have to understand God will always provide a way of dry ground for us to walk on because that's the kind of God He is. Now, as far as this dividing of the sea, um, there are two agents that appear to be employed here. But really the effect of neither one gives us the answer of how the sea was divided. We have the stretching of the fourth of of the rod. And we know it was God. It tells us in the beginning of this, it was the Lord who separated the water. So the rod was just a symbol for the people and, and also a symbol for Moses' faith. And also there was the blowing of this heavy east wind which that itself uh, could not explain the dividing of the waters. And uh, it's been supposed uh, that, that in the place where the Israelites crossed is about nine miles w- uh, long, wide, the Red Sea. That part of the Red Sea is about nine miles wide, and it's about 84 feet deep. It's pretty deep, 84 feet, and about nine miles wide. And so the thing we have to understand <clears throat> that a wind blowing hard enough to lift up over 20 stories, nine miles wide of water. You're talking in mass billions and billions of tons of water standing up. That could not be caused just simply by a wind. You know why? You know how strong a wind would have to blow in order to do that? If anyone got in front of that wind, they'd be done for. I I can just imagine Moses saying, Aaron, you go first. (laughs) Oh, look at that. No, but it wasn't like that. The purpose of the wind was to dry the ground. That was the purpose of the wind. It was God's hand that divided the water. They had a wall on either side. And um, the problem was that this wind was... Not only there to dry the ground, but I think it was there to encourage the Israelites. Obviously, it wasn't strong enough that it was like a hurricane blowing them all over the place. But I think this strong east wind kind of encouraged the Israelites to move on. And so many times the wind of God blows in our hearts and in our life too. Sometimes when we're going through the most difficult times. And of course the Holy Spirit, didn't he come the sound of a great and rushing wind? And I think the Lord sometimes blows his wind of, of love and, and his, this Holy Spirit leads us through the dry ground when we're going through all of our difficulties as well. Now, we have to also realize that when you consider the size of Israel. We're talking over 2 million people that were in the Exodus, 2 million people. And that's the reason they believed that this separation of the waters had to have been at least a mile high. And so can you imagine you're walking through this and you look up and you see a huge wall of water on this side, huge wall of water on that side, and you're walking through. And remember, it wasn't just the people. They had their children, they had carts, they had animals all going through, would have taken them probably about nine hours to cross through the Red Sea. That uh, nine miles of Red Sea would have taken them probably the whole evening. And this is why in Scripture it talks about the different watches. And, you know, when, when they started, it was at one watch. And then when it was time for the seas to come back together, it was at another watch that it mentions, which would be about nine hours. And um, one of the things that many people believe is that it was highly, very highly probable that Moses and Aaron would have led the way. That's what a good leader does. They lead the way. And so Moses, you know, I know we watched the movies uh, with Charlton Heston, and it's a great movie. You know, it's probably one of the best six-hour movies I've ever seen. But, uh, you know, Moses, I still, I still love watching, you know, the story of Moses. But, you know, when they're leaving Egypt and they're all singing, which they did. They did sing when they left Egypt. But in the movie, they have like maybe a thousand people. <laughs> it's over two million people. I mean, you're talking about this huge, huge crowd that were leaving. <clears throat> and um, so anyway, probably Moses and Aaron led the way. And then... As they started going, remember there was a pillar. We talked about this last week. This pillar had light on one side for the Israelites, and it had a cloud of darkness on the other side for the Egyptians. Now, you have to realize that, once again, this pillar wasn't, you know, six feet across. You're talking about a huge group. This pillar was probably at least a mile wide, and we don't know how long it went up. It went, you know, high it went up. It went way up. And on the one side you had the Israelites; it had all the daylight, and on the other side you had uh, the Egyptians; it had nothing but darkness. And so, when the people started moving, probably the cloud went with them because that's the way it did all through, you know, their exodus. And so, when the cloud started moving, probably the Egyptians started pursuing, because remember that cloud separated the two. And um, so the point is, here you have the Egyptians pursuing the Israelites. They've got all this darkness on one side. They just know that this dark cloud's moving, and they're following. And then we read in Scripture, we're going, going to read it in a moment, that God looked down from the pillar, and he confused the Egyptians. And I think what it was at that point, the Lord gave them some light. And all of a sudden, the Egyptians look. And they're in the midst of the Red Sea with water piled up 28 feet high. And they're going like, ah, what are we doing here? I mean, because, because we find, we're going to read in a moment, they were frightened. Think about what caused their poor mistake of going out into the middle of the Red Sea. They were filled with rage. They were filled with rage. Remember, they initially allowed the Israelites to leave. Go, take all your animals, take all your women, take all your livestock, take everything with you, and besides that, plunder us. <laughs> and uh, remember, they took a, so much of their gold and silver, and so they just let him go. And it was over the fact that the firstborn of everyone in the household who didn't have the blood of the lamb on their lentil doorpost door, door lost a child. And so they were frightened, they were uh, you know, grieving, and they said, get out of here. But then after they started thinking about it for a while, they got filled with rage. They got filled with anger. What are we letting them go for? Remember last week's study? And they pursued after them. And they didn't pursue after them um, to be kind. They were angry. They were angry. They were pursuing in blind rage. And this is why you and I have to be careful not to allow anger and blind rage to lead us because we might find ourselves in the middle of the Red Sea. You follow what I'm saying? I mean, everything we read in Scripture is there for a reason. And it's trying to show us something. And you think about what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's just the opposite of anger and rage. Because anger and rage never leads to anything good. You know, um, and sometimes it's so silly. Like... uh, Guys deal with road rage a little bit, you know, including me. And, uh, and we're so weird, aren't we? You know, you're driving. For me, it's Kirkville Road. Every time I pull out in Kirkville Road, I know it's the Lord's intent to teach me patience by having someone pull out in front of me that goes 30 miles an hour. You know, it's 45, which means 50, of course, right? It's 45 miles an hour, and you have someone doing 30 miles an hour. And you start feeling yourself getting so enraged. Because all of a sudden you're thinking, it could take me a minute longer, you know. And, and you, you get all enraged, and, and you're like that, you know. And then finally they turn, and you show them. You go, you really speed around them. And boy, that really showed them. <laughs> and then you think, what did I get so upset about? The point is, it never leads to anything good. Anger and rage is something that we have to take under control with the help of the Lord. Now we come to verses 24 and 25 of Exodus 14. Now it came to pass in the morning watch, remember I talked about the two watches, that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud. And he troubled the army of the Egyptians, and he took off their chariot wheels, so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. So in other words, in the morning, the Egyptians realized what deep yogurt they were in. They, the, you know, the Lord looked down through the, the pillar of fire and, and the pillar of cloud, and all of a sudden the Egyptians saw it. It was the morning watch. Wow, where are we? Look what we're doing. We're in the middle of this Red Sea. And then if that wasn't enough... If you look there closely, God is the one who took off their chariot wheels. What did that look like? You know, the, the, the chari- charioteers are going, all of a sudden, their wheels just go flying off. And I think a lot of it was the Lord slowing them down, so that not only so they wouldn't um, catch the Israelites who they were pursuing, but he wanted to keep them in the middle of the Red Sea for his purposes that we read about in a moment. And... Um, now, the Egyptians openly cried out, it tells us here, in panic. And what did they cry out saying? The Lord's on the side of Israel. They saw the hand of God. You know, so many times we see the hand of God, and we, in our own you know, rage or our own uh, anger, whatever it might be, we fail to see it. And if the Egyptians would have seen the hand of God ten plagues ago, they would have all been you know, preserved. But we're going to find in a moment, this whole army is, dies. They're all, not one of them live. But they could have been saved ten plagues ago, if they just would have seen the hand of God. And so we have to understand as well that even when we're going through difficulties, even when we're going through trials, even when we're feeling angry and and furious and upset, whatever it might be, it doesn't mean the Lord isn't there. It just means we're unwilling to look at Him, we're unwilling to see Him, we're unwilling to obey Him. And so, as believers, there never, never should be anything that we allow in our life that takes our vision off of the Lord. And it's easy to happen. You know what I mean? It's easy to happen. And, and Vi and I talk about these kinds of things all the time. We don't realize how pampered we are. And um, like when Frank uh, was showing the, the slide presentation from when he was in Guatemala, and you see these, these people that are absolutely thrilled out of their mind because you have a, a cold water line run into their house. That's it. And they're out of their minds and excitement and, and happy and oh, you know, and they make bunk beds for them, you know, that that you and I probably probably wouldn't even want to sleep on. And they're just all excited and they're all happy. And we could have said if we burned the, ca- the casserole, right? Oh, life is so hard here, you know. <laughs> I get... And we we have to go beyond that to where we see the Lord. And we experience his peace no matter what's going on in our life, no matter what difficulty we're facing. Now, um, it's also interesting here that there is no worse position to find yourself in than fighting against the hand of God. The reason the Egyptians found themselves in this position in the midst of the Red Sea with 28 stories of water, billions of tons of water on either side of them, the reason they were there is because they fought against God. And they knew it was God. When the plague started, you know, they thought, well, that's no big deal. But by the middle of the plagues, they knew it was God. They knew they were fighting against God, and they continued fighting. And there is no worse position even for you and I to be in than fighting against the hand of God. Because even as believers, I'm not saying we lose our salvation. I'm not talking about that at all. But even as believers, sometimes we find ourselves fighting against the hand of God because we know he's leading us here and we want to go here. Do you know what I'm saying? And when you do that, it's just nothing but problems. It's just nothing but difficulties. Now, moving on, in uh, verses 26 through 31... Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, and the, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, after the Israelites. Listen to this. Not so much as one of them remained, but the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea and the waters, a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord, and that's a reverent fear. It's not like a a ghost or a monster, a reverent fear. And believed the Lord and his servant Moses. But anyway, when I was reading this portion, you know, about Moses standing there to bring the sea back together, it it brought back an experience uh, for Frank and I. I have a crazy imagination And I was thinking about the time my son, Pastor Frank Jr., and I were snorkeling in the Red Sea. We really were. We were snorkeling in the Red Sea. It was beautiful. And I was thinking, when I was reading this, I'm so glad we weren't snorkeling in the Red Sea. And then looked up on the shoreline and saw Moses with his arm up. (laughs) Beautiful tropical fish in the Red Sea, by the way. Beautiful. Now... When you truly see the mighty hand of the Lord, there's nothing you can do but bow in reverent fear. When you really see the mighty hand of God, even when it's this positive, good thing for the Israelites, or even good things we might see in our life, and you know it's the hand of the Lord, it should cause us to bow in reverent fear. And what's the difference between reverent fear and fear like being chased by a lion? Reverent fear is recognizing who God is. Simply that. You recognize who he is. He is the giver of life. All the promises of God are yes and amen. Now understand what his promises are. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. Simple as that. So when you think of the promises of God, for you and I, they're yes and amen, Good and for those who reject God it's not good. And so we have to realize that this fear of the Lord is a beautiful thing that God gives us. It helps us to be sober and to recognize who He is and the importance of obeying Him. Turn to first Corinthians chapter ten. I'm going to read verses one and two. First Corinthians chapter ten. I think this is interesting. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. It's talking about this Red Sea experience. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Well, how were the children of Israel baptized, baptized into Moses? It was not by water, because they crossed over in dry ground. But it was a baptism of being willing to identify themselves with God. I belong to God. I believe God. I'm following Moses. That's the baptism of Moses that's being talked about. It's all related to faith. And, of course, that's what baptism means to us. There are two sacraments that are given in the Bible. Communion and baptism, those are the only two. You know, some people say there's seven sacraments, there's only two. Because in order to be a sacrament, it had to be something that Jesus personally participated in and something he personally commanded to be continued. And he did that for baptism and for communion. For baptism, you know, believe and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And communion, as often as you come together you know to eat this bread and drink this cup do it in remembrance of me those are the only two but our baptism the water isn't the you know the important thing the important thing is what it symbolizes because a you know a sacrament is something we do in a symbolic way to signify something much deeper spiritually like when we take communion, do this in remembrance of me, it's a reminder of what Jesus Christ did for us. He died for our sin. He rose from the dead on the third day. ascended to the right hand of God the Father and has given us the promise of being with him. Where I am, you shall be with me also. And baptism, according to Romans 6, it makes it very clear. The symbolism of it is when you go under the water, dying to self, you come up out of the water, your new creation in Christ. But it is all faith. And in our case, it's faith in Jesus Christ. And baptism is a public testimony, not only to those observing, but to the unseen realm. Do you know how many times in Scripture it talks about we're a witness to the unseen realm? Do a little study. And that's amazing when you think about it. Because our warfare is not against flesh and blood. You know that whole portion. Demons and principalities and so forth. So when we're being baptized and taking communion, the unseen realm is seeing it as well. And the angels are rejoicing and the demons are shrieking because they've lost. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let me make something very clear, brothers and sisters, very clear. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you cannot be demon-possessed. You cannot. It's impossible. Well, I fell a sin. Well, you fell a sin, and, and, and probably, you know, you might have had some demonic influence that was, uh, uh, you know, pushing you in that way, but you're not demonically possessed. You just fell a sin. You need to get back up. Because we belong to Jesus, and he's put the seal and deposit of his Holy Spirit in us. So when it says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, it means Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit, is literally, literally dwelling within your cardia, your heart, your inner man. So do so you think any demon can enter that? Do you? Absolutely not. Impossible. Greater is he, God, that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, um,. So they were baptized into Moses by faith, just like you and I give testimony that we belong to Christ when we're baptized. And here's what Josephus says. And, um, you, you know, if, if it can be boring. But if you get the writings of Josephus, it's very interesting. Josephus was a Hebrew historian that was so honored by the Romans that they actually built a statue to him in Rome. He was not a believer, but he was a historian, and he wrote accurately what he observed. And he has a whole chapter on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, by the way. So here you have this unbeliever that recognizes Jesus rose from the dead. You know, how do you deny that? But anyway, here's what Josephus says. That the army of Pharaoh consisted of 50,000 horsemen, probably 25,000 charioteers and 200,000 on foot, of whom not one remained to carry tidings of the most extraordinary catastrophe. Not one of them remained. And this is why the Lord has put this reverent fear in the heart of every believer. And here's why it's a good thing. I'm going to have you turn to Proverbs. As a matter of fact, we're closing with this. So I want you to turn to Proverbs. And we're going to start off with Proverbs 1. How many of you were old enough to remember the Mickey Mouse Club from years ago? It's years years ago. Remember M-I-C-K-E-Y, M-O-U-S-C, <laughs> Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, anyway. But um, there was this... Um, One of the characters on the Mickey Mouse Club was this guy named Jimmy, and a little skinny guy. And uh, he used to sing the song, Proverbs, Proverbs, they're so true. Proverbs, tell us what to do. So anyway, I remember he used to draw, too. Can you imagine on 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 the Disney Channel having things about God? I mean, they did that on every show. They had a Proverbs. They had a proverb that they actually did on the show. But anyway, Proverbs are very instructional. They're very comforting and very instructional. But Proverbs 1 and verse 7, it says this. Listen. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know when your heart is sensitive to the things of God and sensitive really to life in general, and you're exposed to the truth of God's word, you can't help but just accept it. You know, he's a a fearful God. He's a reverent God. He's someone... I just give myself to him. But a fool says there's no God. And so we have to realize that... um, If you despise wisdom and instruction, all it is is something that's going to bring you to your downfall. Did you ever have someone say to you, nobody can tell you anything? Well, sometimes that's true with us. But the problem is, when no one can tell us anything, sometimes we even block our hearts to God. We have to be willing to hear. Sometimes it's not easy to hear. You know, those of us who are, who are married, we know that there are times that our spouse says something to us that we really don't want to receive, but we know it's true. Now go to Proverb 14. Proverb 14 and verse 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. I mean, it seems like a paradox, like an oxymoron, doesn't it? You're talking about fear and confidence together. But the fear of the Lord, the reverent understanding of who God is, his majesty, his power, his holiness, his righteousness, it can give us confidence. And his children will have a place of refuge. I'm confident to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm confident of that. Now go to Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15. And verse 16. Go to verse 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasures with trouble. I mean, sometimes you read about all these wealthy people, and you think, "Oh, I just can't imagine what it would be like." And then you read about some of the things that are going on in their life, and what they're going through, and the kinds of things that they're involved in, and you have to say, "I'm thankful I'm not like that." I mean, I love it. Better is is a little with fear of the Lord than great treasures with troubles. And then, still in verse uh, chapter fifteen, go to verse thirty-three. Fifteen thirty-three. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. If you're going to have a reverent fear of the Lord, you have to have a humble heart. And the humble heart is simply saying, I have needs. A humble heart is saying, I failed. A humble heart is saying, I've been wrong. A humble heart is saying, I need help. And then the Lord will give you what you're looking for. And you know, I'm sure just everyone in here already knows Jesus, but if you don't, when I pray at the end, humble your heart like we're talking about here and ask God's forgiveness and ask Him to come in and take over your life that you might have His strength. And those of you who are believers... Maybe there are areas of your life that you've been uh, strong-willed in, unwilling to let go of. Um, Make this the time that you're willing to say, Lord, I surrender all. All to you I surrender, Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how thankful we are that your salvation is free. Whether it's initial salvation that we might have the assurance of eternal life or continuous salvation as you forgive us our sins, as we confess them to you. And so I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would just hear the heart of each person here, that they might be encouraged in you. And we pray that you would come by your Holy Spirit and minister your truth in very strong ways to everyone here, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, my friends.